weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior. Emmanuel Church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus, friend of sinners. Now here's this week's message. Jason is one of my favorite pastors in the whole world, and I uh, pray for him and you guys every week in my prayer list, um, praying that the church would continue to grow, that God would raise up leaders, and um, it's nice to have a break, so I'm glad you're giving your, your pastor a break so that he can enjoy time with his family. Pastors do work hard, and um, so it's such a privilege to serve him so that he can rest with his family. Um, so I would like to pray for, for us in our time together. Uh, pray for Pastor Jason and pray for you as a church. So let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Pastor Jason and his family. We pray that their time away would be a blessing and be, they would be refreshed, they would be renewed to serve you. We thank you for this church. We thank you for adding to the church, for growing the church. We continue to pray that you would fill each member here with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of you bearing fruit in every good work increasing in the knowledge of your glory strengthen them with all power according to your glorious might for endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to you because you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light thank you for delivering us from the domain of darkness transferring us into the kingdom of your beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I pray specifically that you would raise up godly men, godly elders and deacons to help shepherd this flock. We pray that you would add to the church through this church's evangelism efforts, through apartment life, through Josh's and Ashley's ministry. We pray for conversion fruit and evangelistic conversations, and that the local church would be a means of grace to this community. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're looking at just two verses. I'm actually preaching in the book of Romans, uh, preaching the book of Romans at, at my local church, and I just finished uh, chapter 6 uh, this morning, so we're going back to chapter 5. And I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine something with me. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No, no hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. Imagine, imagine, it, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to. Imagine all the people living a life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can, no, no need for greed or hunger or brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And someday, you'll join us, and the world will live as one. I'm not going to sing that for you, but that's from, uh, that's from John Lennon over 50 years ago. And the question I want to ask was, John Lennon right? Does the world naturally gravitate to peace because we are dreamers 
where naturally generous, generous people who believe in the brotherhood of man, utopia will come to earth? Is the world one today? Is there a brotherhood of man? Is there sharing in all the worlds? Is there, is there humanity living as one? You see, in the 70s, the, the sign of the hippie movement was what? Was peace. It was a chaotic time back then, wasn't it? There was a war in Vietnam. There was political unrest as President JFK was assassinated years earlier. There was civil and racial unrest as MLK was assassinated in 1968. And Lenin produced this hit song in the context because people were really searching for peace. Around that time, people were searching for harmony with nature, communal living, artistic experimentation in music, sexual experimentation, and the widespread use of recreational drugs. Um, I was supposed to go on a double date with Jason and, uh, Jason and Bev to go watch the Jesus Revolution and the birth of Calvary Chapel because a lot of hippies were searching, trying to search for peace and then they actually became converted under the ministry of Chuck Smith. Well, I don't have to give you statistics that there is a rising generation of people who are dealing with anxiety, depression, and even increasing suicide. Uh, there was a, a documentary called The Social Dilemma. Uh, Jonathan Hyde, he is a professor of psychology, PhD, and he said that Gen Z, in particular, was the only generation that was raised with a smartphone, and as a result, American teenage girls, it, there has been a spike in increased hospitalizations. Uh, and there's a, been an increase in, in, in girls inflicting harm upon themselves. These American teenage girls are dealing with anxiety, depression, and uh, it's all linked, one of the links is to social media. So, so people are looking for peace in the world today, but they do not know where to find it. You see the polarization and the tribalization of different groups. You see fighting wars, you know, Russia and Ukraine. Uh, the rising threat to, of China, and, and, and people can ignore these realities and, and try to just focus on, on self. Uh, there will be a presidential election next year that I'm sure will be divisive. And, and as a society, we, we try to find peace within ourselves. Just go to Barnes and Nobles, right, and, and there's a self-help section, and notice all the ways people try to find peace. Uh, people try to find peace in expressive individualism or their sexual identity. People are still searching for peace within, within their drugs. It produces immediate euphoria. You fast forward today, 2023, the world is still searching for peace. And, and instead of looking to God, people are looking to themselves. People, people are trying to find peace within themselves rather than to look outward. You see, the, the lie that the world tells us is that, that peace is found inside of you. But the Bible tells us that peace is not found inside, but outside of you. In fact, true peace is not found from yourself, but true peace is found only with God. And that's what I want to argue in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. So it's in your bulletin, but let me read it for us. And it says... In Romans chapter 5, the therefore, it's pointing back to Paul's argument in Romans 1 to 4, but he says, therefore, since, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope 
of the glory of God. So in this section of Paul's letter, we're going to look at three blessings of justification. Three blessings of justification so that believers like us, like you and I, can rejoice and enjoy peace with God. Because we have received Jesus by faith alone, we can have peace with God, we can have access to God, and we can have joy in God. Because we have been justified by faith alone, we can have peace with God, we can have access to God, and we can have joy in God. So, uh, notice we, we, uh, we look at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now again, uh, when people are thinking about peace, they're often thinking about subjective peace, right? Uh, in my Spotify, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a section called Peaceful Music, and has a picture of a beach or a picture of a mountain. Uh, you know, you think about peace or a stroll in nature or a warm bath with a book or a, a yoga class. This, this gives me peace. But Paul is not talking about subjective peace here. He, he's talking about objective peace with God. Uh, just to recap the first four chapters in Roman, Paul has told us that we face a problem with God. Romans 1.18 says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. God's wrath is revealed. And God's wrath is not only future, but it's, it's, it's happening now when God abandons you over to your lust. And he, he traces that argument all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, he says that there is no one righteous. There is no, no, not, not one. No, no one seeks after God. The whole world is running away from God. But he says, now a righteousness that has been revealed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, a righteousness, the righteousness of God has been revealed through Jesus Christ. Though man cannot fulfill God's law, because of his sinful nature, Jesus Christ, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, he fulfilled the law of God. He bore the curse of the law. And because he bore the curse of the law, ungodly people like us can be justified because of the work of Christ. And that's why Paul says there's no human boasting. No one, no one can boast, oh, what a great person I was. No one in heaven is boasting. The only people boasting in heaven are people boasting at the cross. And this is a faith which God imputes to us, or a, a language of, of a banking term. He, he credits righteousness to us. And then in verse 25, Paul summarizes his argument, saying that Jesus was delivered over for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's the heart of Paul's letter here in Romans, where Paul is talking about a legal forensic justification by which we are legally declared righteous by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And because of that, Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's a present peace, an objective peace. Peace in the Bible is taken from the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom means uh, well-being. It, it covers wholeness, everything from health, security, friendship, salvation. To, to be at peace biblically means to be whole. Uh, to be integrated spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically. Uh, we're an integrated being, not divided or chaotic. So what I'm trying to say here is if you want the peace of God, first you must have peace with God. The, the peace 
of God only comes first when you have peace with God, objective peace. So subjective peace comes when you have objective peace. John Calvin, the reformer, said, Serenity of conscience, therefore, is peace which arises from feeling God to be reconciled to us in Christ. Because we know that sin disrupts shalom, our, our peace. Sin, the entrance of sin into God's good creation has, has disrupted creation in our relationship with God. It's disrupted our relationship with God, creation, with our relationship with others. And God says in Isaiah, there is no peace for the wicked. The wicked are like a tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Uh, Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher, says there is a breach between the rebellious creature and the righteous creator. Sad that it should be so, but such is the case by nature which every man that is born of woman. We are set against the Lord. We kick against His providence. We rebel against His commands. We resist His Holy Spirit. We reject His love as manifested in the death of Christ. And we should live and die in this hostility if it were not for His almighty grace. Before we can ever enjoy peace within our hearts, there must be a state of peace established between us and God. That's what Paul is saying here. Because our sin makes us hostile against God. And God is hostile against us because of His holiness and because of His perfect character. Until we have objective peace with God, we will never have peace with Him. That's the story of Martin Luther, wasn't it? Uh, Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. And uh, he wanted to be a really good Augustinian priest. And then there was lightning... Uh, that as he was traveling, and then that almost struck him down, and um, and then he was praying to one of the saints, and he says, "God, I'll give my life to you if if I survive this. I'll, I'll do my best. I'll, I'll do my best to be the best monk I could be." He said, "If there's any monk who could be the greatest monk, that would have been me." And Luther was always plagued in his conscience because he did not understand his objective peace with God. He saw God as an angry judge, not a loving father. And Luther, when he began to read Romans, particularly 1, 16 and 17, he, he finally understood that the righteousness of God is not God waiting to throw uh, you know, lightning bolts at us every time we sin. The righteousness of God that is given is a gift through Jesus Christ. And then when he says, I finally understood that the righteousness of God is given as a gift through the work of Jesus Christ, then the, the paradise was open to me. Then paradise was open to me. And now I have peace within. Jesus has given us peace, hasn't he? The cross is God's peace treaty towards humanity. Uh, God is saying, lay down your arms, lay down your sins, because my son, I have given you my son. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that, that there, nothing is more wonderful than to know that God loves you. And no man can truly know that God loves him except in Jesus Christ and him crucified. You can only have peace of God when you have peace with God. You can only have subjective peace if you have objective peace. And that objective peace has been shown in the cross of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.20 says through him to reconcile, through Christ, reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And beloved, if you're a Christian, 
Peace with God means you are at war with sin. Because if you are at peace with your sin, you are at war with God. So we must make war against our sin because we have peace with God. And then we talk about the subjective peace, right? That's what we see in Philippians, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because God is not my judge now. He's my Father. I can come to Him as my Father. And as a church, in Ephesians, it tells us that now Christ is, because of the cross, he has, he has broken the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. And He has formed a people, the Prince of Peace, has formed different groups together under his lordship to be a people of peace. So I'm sure you have a church covenant, just like I do, where it says that we will strive to maintain the peace of the church. We will seek to maintain the unity of the church and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.3, Christ himself is our peace. Christ is our true peace. So beloved, we don't get peace for seeking peace and looking for peace within. We get peace by looking to Christ. That's where you find peace. So if you're not a Christian, have you experienced this peace? Have you been reconciled to God? Have you been justified by faith? The cross is God's peace treaty towards you. Lay down your sin and receive Christ. And, and God will forgive your sin. Because God says, again, there is no peace for the wicked. Have you experienced the peace that, peace that Luther experienced? That, that John Bunyan experienced, author of Pilgrim's Progress? The peace that God is not against you, but God is for you in Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Spurgeon gave an interesting illustration. <laughs> Some people say they find a peace in nature, you know, like I'm going to go to Grand, I'm going to Grand Canyon on my vacation in two weeks and just to kind of see that, uh, just want to just marvel at God's creation. But Spurgeon says, you know, you, you say you find peace in nature, but what happens when nature turns into a flood? Or an earthquake. Do you still have true peace, he says? A true Christian who has peace with God knows that his Father is in control of all things and nothing can separate him from the love of Christ, whether we live or we die. That's, it. That's how you know you have true peace. That earthquake in California, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> but you know that I'm going to be with Jesus. No, that's peace. That's peace. Because Christ has died and he has risen again. If you don't have subjective peace, maybe because you haven't dealt properly with God and come to recognize your guilty state before God. Only when you acknowledge your guilt and see the substitution of Christ at the cross can you have peace with God. That's not only the first benefit of justification. Second benefit of justification. We have access to God. We have access to God. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You see, beloved, ever, ever since sin entered the world, there has been a separation between God and man. We, we see that in the Garden of Eden, right? As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of the garden. An angel with a flaming sword was guarding Eden. Eden. Think about Mount Sinai, as we read in Exodus, right? While the people of God were receiving the law, they were to sit at the foot of the mountain because they were barred access from going up to the top of the mountain. Or, or think about the construction of the earthly tabernacle or, or the temple. People were called to worship God, but the only way you can enter into the presence of God was by sacrifice or the high priest. The high priest would be only on the Day of Atonement, only come in by sacrifice. And you remember when Jesus Christ died on the cross, what happened to the veil of the temple? It tore. 
And that was a symbol that we have a way and access to God. The word is used in Ephesians 2.8, for through him we have both access and one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 3.12. In him we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. You get this idea, right? Disneyland charges a million dollars to enter into Disneyland. I have five children. $150 a ticket for a family seven. That's over $1,000. There's no way I'm getting into Disneyland. Unless I know somebody. Uh-huh. I have two members who work at Disneyland. All right. All right. Okay. So, uh, it's your pastor's birthday. Disneyland is barring me, barring me from access because of their idolatrous love of money. And, uh, and the only way I'm getting into Disneyland is because you have special access. Right? That, that is the picture here. We are sinners, poor beggars, outside of the king's beautiful palace. And only someone who has access can make us clean and bring us into his banquet. Only the person who has unrestricted access to the king's palace is the king's son. And the king's son has gone out of the palace, taken our sinful clothes, given us new clothes in Christ, and has given us access into heaven itself. We know somebody. Who can get us in? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's what Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Christian, you have access to God now. You don't have to go to a priest. You have a high priest. You have a priest who never dies, who always lives to, to, to make intercession for you. So therefore, if we have access to God, prayer becomes not a duty that must be done, but a privilege to be enjoyed. Prayer is not a duty, but a privilege to be enjoyed. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said, Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. We could come to him. And if God has provided access to God, then, then coming to church is not a duty. It's a privilege to enjoy because we get to praise the living God. We, we get to draw near to our holy God who is a consuming fire because our high priest has made a way. It's a privilege to pray. It's a privilege to gather with the saints. Jesus has opened the gates of paradise for me. Remember what he said to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. You have access because of what I have done. We have access into this grace which we stand. Uh, we come to him not in the realm of works and the law and condemnation, but by faith and grace. We are undeserving and we are secure in this grace because Jesus Christ has given his life for us in his death and resurrection. Being a Christian is not an emotional decision, but a firm persuasion that God is true and he's for us in Christ. How do you know that God loves you? Look at the cross. Look at Jesus Christ incarnate. Look at Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. Look at Jesus Christ raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, coming again, not to give wrath, but to save those who are waiting for him. 
So we must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must preach the gospel to ourselves every day, every Sunday, because the world, the flesh, and the devil try to keep us from the loving presence of our God. It's so easy to forget these privileges as Christians. That's why we need a community of God. That's why we need the gospel logic of Romans. Uh, I love Paul because um, the, the imperatives, the, the commands to, to offer yourselves to God is always grounded in the, in the indicatives. He says, don't offer yourselves to sin, command, because you have been delivered from slavery of sin. He says, do you not know that you've been baptized into Christ Jesus? Do you not know that you've been buried with him, that you have been raised with him? Do you not, do you not know that, that your life is in Christ? And because I'm in Christ, why would I ever go back to that life? You see, we cannot come to the king on our own efforts. Our works are like filthy rags, Isaiah says. We are, we are poor beggars outside the king's palace. And, and, and we are like con convicted criminals who, who have committed treason against the high king, deserving death and judgment. But because of the king's son, not only do we have pardon, but through the king's son, justice is satisfied and we get released from prison and welcomed into the king's palace as one of his children. That's the gospel. You don't ever enter the White House or the palace without proper access. You, if you've committed a serious crime, you will be escorted out. You will be thrown into prison. You have no access or authority to belong in a place like that. Well, you have no reason to be in a place like heaven unless you know somebody. That person is Jesus Christ. So the first benefit of justification we saw is that we have peace with God. Secondly, we have access to God. But, but thirdly, the, the final privilege we see, and there are many more, Notice in verse 2, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's interesting that the phrase rejoice is actually the word boast. Paul is saying we boast in the glory of God. Uh, when you think about what do, what do people boast in, right? Uh, people boast in their accomplishments, they boast in their wealth, they they boast in their family. They, they boast in what they take pride in. They, they, they boast in their favorite sports team. And for the Christian, the Christian boasts in what God has accomplished. We boast in God, in Christ. Galatians 6.14 But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by, the, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what a Christian boasting. And he says we hope, we, we rejoice in hope. And we know that hope is not wishful thinking. It's not I, I hope I win the lottery. Or I, I, I hope that the Lakers, this is for you Buzz, will, will, will win the NBA finals. I think they're down four, but I hope that they will win. That's what we call wishful thinking. <laughs> Sorry Buzz. Hope, biblical hope, is certainty. You know, when we first bought a home, uh, you go through escrow, and then the last part of buying a home is you sign the papers. And when you sign the papers, after, after you sign the papers, the deed becomes yours, and the house becomes officially yours. Now, when I received those papers, there was still time where the, 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 the former owners of the house needed to move out, but as soon as that deed became mine, that home was mine. 
And when you receive Jesus by faith, not only are you legally justified, it's a done deal. And there's a future inheritance that is promised to you. It's a certainty, a promise of God that will be realized. And we see that all throughout the Bible. God makes promises and God keeps His promises. And all of God's promises are yes in Jesus Christ. That we have a future inheritance. We have forgiveness of sins. We, we are adopted into His family. We, we have been justified. We have been sanctified. We will be glorified. The, the deed has already been sealed by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So thus, one older commentator says, thus faith relies on the truth of what God has promised and hope expects enjoyment of it. This hope is full of rejoicing because everything in it looks for the dependence of the truth and the faithfulness of a covenant God. There can be no failure on his part and consequently on the believers, no disappointment. And we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. What is the glory of God? Uh, The word communicates something heavy, gravitas. Uh, and it's communicating the beauties and excellencies of God displayed in creation and redemption. So Paul says, we rejoice in the glory of God. We, we boast in that. We, we rejoice in that because we, we lost our glory because of sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet Jesus has come to restore the glory of God in us. We were dead, but now we are being transformed, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We even boast in our sufferings, knowing that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says these afflictions are light compared to the weight of glory that is going to be given to believers. We will experience future glory. That's why Jesus ascended. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. The glory of the future resurrection, the glory of the new creation, the glory of reunion with our loved ones who are in Christ. What is the chief end of man but to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, to enjoy the glory of God forever? And that's what Jesus has achieved for us. That's why Paul tells us to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on earth, for we have died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who will who is our life appears, we will also appear with him in glory. So friend, look to Christ afresh again. Remind yourself of the glory that awaits you, the, the glory that Christ has purchased for you. Emmanuel Church, every Sunday should be a joyful celebration of what God has done. Every Sunday should be a boasting service in God Almighty. Christians should be joyful people. Christians should be singing people. Christians should be happy people because we rejoice, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. To summarize, um, the late Tim Keller says, Notice that these three benefits of justification are three tenses of our salvation. In Christ we have been freed from our past. Our old record of rebellion and sin has been put away. And we have peace with God. We are free in the present to enjoy a personal relationship with God. And we will one day most certainly experience the freedom of life lived in the full, awesome presence of God's glory. Past sins forgiven, present enjoyment of God, and future glory that awaits for us. That's how you get true peace. Not some John Lennon song. By the way, he didn't even believe his own message because he was being criticized because he was living in a mansion. So he didn't even 
believe what he was saying. Calvin said that wretched souls are always in a state of doubt if they do not rest on the grace of Christ. So friend, do you have peace with God? Do you, do you have this objective peace? God has shown it to you in Christ. He, Jesus Christ became a man. He was born as a baby. When he was born, peace, there was peace with God, right? With whom he is well pleased. Do you, do you have access to, you, God, to God? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Do you have joy in God? Because God's salvation is a complete salvation. Past, present, and future. These are the three benefits of justification that God gives us to us. In the free grace of Jesus Christ. Peace, access, and joy. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, offers you peace by his death and resurrection. The question is, will you trust him for it? Will you have peace with God and joy in God because you have access to God? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving himself for us so that we can have peace with you. Thank you that we are no longer at enmity with you. But now because of Christ who has, was cursed for us, cursed by the law, freed us from the condemnation of the law, we now can serve you and obey you from the heart by the Spirit of God fulfilling the true intentions of the law. Lord, we thank you that we have access to you in Jesus Christ. We, we thank you for this joy in you and remind us again how sweet it is to follow Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you were encouraged and blessed by the word. We'd like to invite you to join us for Sunday worship. If you would like to know our service time and further information, please visit us online at www.emmanueloc.com. And so, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen.